So I want you to imagine that you go to the doctor, you're at the doctor's office, and you say, doctor, my foot has been hurting for weeks, doctor. The doctor says, okay, um, let's see, here's what I can do for you. I'm going to prescribe you some pain medication. Take this pain medication and you'll feel better. And you say, okay, and you're a little confused because you thought you'd at least take a look at it, maybe do some x-rays or something. Um, you go on with your life and then later on, months later, you go back with trouble breathing. You're having trouble breathing. Each breath is difficult. And you say, doctor, I can't breathe well. I need you to check me out. And he says, okay, well, I'm uh, having trouble breathing. Maybe this inhaler will help. We're going to give you this inhaler. It's going to help um, you breathe better. And again, you're confused because he didn't listen to your lungs. He didn't check you, test you. It could be asthma. It could be something going wrong with your heart. Maybe something else. If the doctor that you go to never tried to figure out what the root cause of your issues were, what they were, what they were, was, <laughs> confused myself there, if he never tried to figure out the root cause, you probably would stop going to him, right? You just would say, okay, well, let me find somebody else who's going to help me figure out what's going wrong in my body so I can get it fixed. Or if your car was making a whole bunch of noise as you drove it down the road and you take it to an auto shop and the shop technician says, well, here's something that will help take care of the noise and he hands you some earplugs. That's not going to help, is it? It's not going to fix what's wrong inside. And many times in our own life, in our own heart, we have problems, issues, and we're just trying to pick at the external behavior but we're not focused on finding the root cause. So this morning, James, in a very practical way, cuts through all of the excuses and he gets right at the heart of many of our causes of conflict. What's the heart of it? Well, go with me to James chapter 4. James 4, we're in verse 1 through 10 this morning. James chapter 4. Verses 1 through 10. And he starts off with a question. He asks, where do wars and fights come from among you? Maybe you've wondered that in your own household or in your relationships with people. Why do I fight with people? Why do I strive against people that I'm supposed to love? Where do they come from? And, and sometimes we, we point to the other people as the problem. Well, I wouldn't be this way if they weren't so messy. I wouldn't be in a bad mood if they kept the house clean, etc., etc. Where does it come from? And then James answers it with another question, but it's intended as the answer. He says, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Isn't the problem that you've got selfish desires in your heart. Now, obviously, God wants us to be happy, right? God wants us to, to be happy and to be fulfilled. In fact, we can think back in our mind as verses in Psalms where God says, I will give you the desires of your heart. 
And we cling on to those verses. But James is not talking about those God-given desires. He's talking about simply the desire to please yourself, thinking about no one other than yourself. In fact, the root word there for pleasure is, is a word that, that we use for the word hedonism. You know what hedonism is? It's kind of like heathenism, but it, with a D. Hedonism, it's where you are seeking to please yourself. It's the selfish pursuit of pleasure, where pleasure is the highest good that you can achieve in life. We say things like, if it feels good, just do it. That's hedonism. But God's word is, uh, is saying here, this is a problem. Because when you are just thinking about yourself and you're not thinking about other people, it's going to cause conflict. And, and you know this to be true in your own life. You know, they say you'll realize you're selfish when you get married. Right? You've been living by yourself. You're the boss. You get to decide how you spend your money, what you do, when you do it, and then you get married and there's someone to share that life with. And you start to realize, oh, maybe I am a little bit selfish. And then they say, you really find out you're a selfish person when you have kids. Because then you are constantly giving of yourself. And when you, and when you are seeking to, to only please yourself, and everybody is seeking to please themselves only, conflict is bound to happen. It's bound to happen. So James says, isn't the reason why there's conflict? Because there's a selfish pursuit of pleasure. Now God wants us to be happy, right? Of course he does. But he alone knows how we'll best be happy. And he knows that other-centered love is the path to greatest happiness. And if we're only looking out after number one, we may think we're happy, but the end result of our lives will not be a life of true happiness. It'll be a life that's filled with conflict, a life that is filled with self-indulgence, and a life that is separated from the life that God wants us to live and wants to offer us. Verse 2, it says, you lust and you do not have. You crave. You have all these life cravings. Cravings for this, cravings for that. But nothing that you're seeking ever fully satisfies you. Like the famous man, Howard Hughes. He used to be the world's richest man. And he was asked one time, Howard, how much money is enough? He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more and then I'll be happy. You look at these people who are living the so-called high life. They have everything that money could offer. Any sort of relationship that, that you could dream of, they have it because of their wealth, because of their influence. And yet they, you read about all these famous people, all these movie stars, and, and they're getting addicted to drugs. They're dying of overdoses. They're getting divorce after divorce after divorce. Because when you're just pursuing the pleasures of this world, they never satisfy. So James says, you lust, you crave these things. 
and it doesn't satisfy. I read a book called The Perils of Power by Richard Exley. Fascinating book, and he said, lust never satisfies, it only stirs up. I was sharing this morning for the outdoor church how sometimes when I go on like a, like a dessert fast or something, and I just swear off dessert for a while, and then I think, you know, I'm just going to have a little bit here, and then go back on my fast. And you eat that cupcake, or you... You break off a piece of that chocolate, and then all of a sudden, that sugar craving starts to, to grow and, and grow within you. And admittedly, many times, I don't just stop at that little bit of chocolate. It's like, oh, cookie monster, you know, feed me. And not that we should never have dessert or sweets or anything like that. But the stuff of this world in of itself does not satisfy. And God created us for meaningful relationships. He created us to enjoy good food in proper proportions. He created us to enjoy the blessings of marriage and all that entails. But if that's the only thing we have, that's not the path to true happiness. When we just pursue the pleasures of the flesh, it ultimately leads to dissatisfaction. And as James is revealing to us, it leads us to conflict. You lust and you do not have, verse 2. You murder and covet, and yet you cannot obtain. And Jesus, remember he said, whoever hates his brother commits murder in his heart. So when you're a selfish person, when you're just pursuing the pleasure of your own life, you see everybody else who's in your way as an obstacle to your own pursuits of pleasure. You murder them in your heart. Through your hatred, through your envy, you destroy this relationship. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. God wants us to ask Him for good things. He wants us to trust that He is the source of all good things. But when you're not doing that, you don't have because you're not asking Him. You're not trusting yourself in His hands. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Sometimes we do ask God for things, but if we are in this sinful pursuit of pleasure only, Chances are we're going to be asking God for the wrong things. And so God says, you know what? I just can't for your own benefit answer your prayer according to your desire right now. It just wouldn't be good for you. I can remember different things that I, th I thought I wanted when I was growing up. Things I talked to God about. And then now that I'm older and wiser, I can look back and say, wow, that's a good thing that didn't work out. Thanks, God, for not answering that prayer according to how I asked it. And of course, in heaven, we're going to find out how God processed all of our prayers. But I think a lot of them, we're going to say, man, it's a good thing because I didn't know exactly what I was asking for. Verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
God wants to be so closely united to us that it's like a husband and wife united in marriage. And when we leave him, when we turn our back on him, when we pursue the other stuff outside of God, it's like God feels we've been cheating on him. And his heart is broken. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity? That means separation. That means there's this division with God. You see, the pursuit of selfishness not only separates us from other people, but it separates us from God. You see, sometimes we feel like God's trying to stretch us. Somebody asked me, do you know why it feels like you're being stretched? And they said, it's because you're trying to hold on to the world and God's trying to pull you up to heaven. And so we feel this pull, we feel this stretch. So James is reminding us, the reason you're having these conflicts, the reason you're having these problems, the reason that certain prayer requests is not being, are not being answered is because the heart is wrong. Your heart is set on hedonism, on merely the pursuit of pleasure and not the pursuit of God's pleasure and what God sees for us, other-centered love. Verse 5, do you not think that Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? This passage can be a little confusing in some Bibles because it, it has quotation marks. There's no passage that exactly matches those words there. Um, so maybe what James is doing is he's perhaps loosely paraphrasing a verse in the Old Testament, or he may just be... Um, summarizing concepts that he's gathered from his knowledge of the scriptures, which certainly is true, that the Holy Spirit, he wants to dwell with us. And when we are doing things against the Spirit, when we're doing things that lead us away from God, it breaks God's heart. And so like a jealous husband or a wife, and, and not jealous in the sinful sense, jealous in the sense of you love that person and you want them to be with you and be faithful to you. And it breaks your heart when that doesn't happen. God is like that towards us. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to be satisfied. And he realizes if we, if we dink around with the, the lower levels of pleasure without seeking him first then all these other things can't be added unto us, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33. Verse 6, but he gives more, what? More grace. God, in spite of our unfaithfulness, gives us so much grace. In spite of when we ask amiss, ask God for things and we don't realize God is yearning to be gracious to us. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. When we feel like we don't need what God has for us, it's hard for him to give us his grace. Not because grace is earned through humility, but grace is received and desired when you're humble. When you say, I have no need to ask God for forgiveness, how can you receive his grace? When you feel no need of God to strengthen you in your life, it's hard for you to be receptive to what he wants to give to you. So James reminds us that we need to humble our hearts. 
so that we can receive the gifts that God wants to give us. So, so far we've seen that this selfish pursuit of pleasure outside of God, and there's no selfish pursuit of pleasure within God, but God gives us true desires that we can pursue. But when we just pursue our own desires, when we just pursue our own pleasure outside of God, it leads us to conflict. Conflict with others and conflict with God. And so then James, in in the next and final three verses, four verses of this passage, he gives us actually ten different imperatives, ten different words in the command form, ten different things that we can do to remedy this situation. You might call it the cure for conflict. And obviously, better communication will help you with your conflict. Uh, and so forth and so on. But at the root of it, if we don't change our selfish hearts, we're going to keep running in and butting heads with people. And to be sure, we can't avoid people who are selfish. We can't avoid people who are going to try and antagonize us, but we can control how we respond. And so step number one, verse seven, therefore submit to God. The way to stop fighting is to throw up the white flag. Say, God, I can't do this on my own. I've been fighting. I've been trying to to do these things on my own, but I can't do it. Submit to God. Tap out. Say, God, I need you. Recognize that there is an enemy that's trying to distract you and get you off track. Second half of verse 7, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from us. That's a powerful image in my mind. Can you picture that? Can you picture taking a stand for God and picture the the devil and his minions fleeing away? A lot of times we're afraid of, of darkness and demons, and but if we're living our life as God wants us to, they will be afraid of us. Because when you have the unlimited God living in your heart, you're just an extension of God's hand in this world. And the devil loses every single time he faces God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Eight, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In one verse, the devil's fleeing. In the next verse, God is coming near. Devil can't flee unless God is near. God wants us to take initiative as we seek him. I don't know if you've ever had a relationship that's just kind of like a one-way thing where you feel like you're the one that's always calling them. You're the one that's always texting them. You're the one that's always trying to hang out with them. And how do you feel when you're in that situation? You don't feel that good. You just wish that they would take some initiative. And and God, who who saves us by his grace, he says, draw near to me. Show me some initiative. I want to do everything in your life. And by the way, he's the one that gives us the desire and and the strength to even draw near to him. But we need to to put um, 
put our, our faith in practical terms, do things to draw near to God. How do we do that? Well, spend time in the Word. It's one of the best ways you can draw near to God. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in church, whether online or in person. Uh, talk to other believers. Participate in, in um, a small group of some sort, whether it's prayer meeting, Sabbath school, or some other small group. Start your own group if you don't have one. Draw near to God. Follow and apply what's in his word. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. We've been doing a lot of hand cleansing right now in COVID, haven't we? This is uh, a phrase in Hebrew thinking that just basically means clean up your act. Stop messing around. Put to practice the things that God has given you. Purify your hearts. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. <coughs> Lament, mourn, and weep. Verse 9. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now this is kind of an odd uh, imperative command for us. Because that's not what we typically think of. Like God is love, God, God wants us to be happy, and then James is saying, no, you need to mourn, you need to cry, you need to weep, you need to be gloomy. And my face is not, not even gloomy right now. It's the wrong facial expression. So, so what is James trying to do for us here? Well, before you can get over a problem, you need to first recognize you have a problem. And if the fact that you have a problem isn't a problem to you, then that's a problem. You know what I mean? When was the last time you had genuine sorrow for your sin? When was the last time that your sin and the, the condition and the separation from God caused you to cry? When was the last time you just felt so horrible that your sins had put Jesus on the cross? When was the last time you felt just intense sorrow and pain for the pain that you caused Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit? James says... You need to spend time in genuine contrition and sorrow, heartfelt sorrow, for, for, for this spiritual condition. What did Jesus say in, in Matthew 5? James' older or brother, or perhaps younger brother, rather. What did James say? Or what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. If we want conflict to get better in our lives, we need to recognize that we, in our own sinful, selfish hearts, are a large cause of the conflict itself. And we need to spend time in your journals, in your prayer time, in your devotional time, allowing God to give you just heartfelt sorrow for your sin. Now, we don't stay in this condition forever. Praise the Lord. But we want to make sure that we recognize the seriousness 
of our rebellion. That we don't take God's grace too lightly. And sometimes I think we just sin because we know, well, God will forgive me. No big deal. It is a big deal. Yes, God will forgive you if you turn to him in repentance. But every sin is a big deal. What did James say? If you, if you break one, you break them all. Every sin is a big deal. And that knowledge will help us with, with verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. When you feel like you have it all figured out and you don't need God, you don't need anything, I don't need to read the Bible because I have strengthened myself. Oh, you're destined for failure there. James says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He asks us to humble ourselves in order that he might raise us up. But before he can raise us up, we have to realize just how much we need him. So why is there conflict? Well, there are a lot of reasons for conflict. But deep down, the most basic reason is hearts that aren't surrendered to God. Hearts that need to submit themselves to God, submit our desires and our passions and our pursuits, and give them to God. Stop looking out for number one and start recognizing God as number one. Letting Him order our life and our affairs and our, our dealings in this world. And then God can give us that new heart. He can purify us and cleanse us and give us joy in place of our mourning. Most of us have probably spent some time doing yard work. You ever pulled weeds before? Sometimes the ground is pretty hard where you're trying to pull weeds out and you, you tug on the weed, but it just snaps off on the top. Uh, or sometimes you're lazy, and so you're not even really trying. You just kind of get the, get the top part of the weeds off. In fact, there are, there are tools just for clipping the tops off. Uh, they're pretty convenient. You can make your yard look better quicker. But if you leave the roots in, what's going to happen? Chances are those weeds are going to grow right back. In our spiritual lives, we can try to pick off the bad fruit or we can actually get to the heart of it and say, God, fix my heart. Fix my selfishness. Fix that broken part in me that's pursuing my own pleasure outside of you. Give me a new heart. I remember passing through some arcades before and, and seeing that game called whack-a-mole. It's where you have a little hammer and there are these little things that pop up like gophers, moles, and you're just trying to whack them all down. But they keep popping up and so it's hard. And it's hard to, to beat the game. But it occurred to me some time ago, the way to beat the game is not by whacking the moles down. The way to beat the game is to go around behind the machine and unplug it from the wall. And then you can get all those things down, no problem. Conflict is going to happen in life, but we can choose how we're going to respond. 
And if you want true solutions, you need to let God get to your heart today. You need to let Him work in your life every single day. This afternoon, right now, in your heart, I'm just going to encourage you to pray to God, talk to God, and say, God, what do you want to show me about myself that you want to make better? In what areas have I not surrendered to you? Where am I pursuing my own selfish agenda where you want to give me a better agenda? An agenda for life that will make me happier and more fulfilled and more satisfied. Don't put off his heart work. Do it today. Do it every day. And God will cure our hearts. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, you alone can do this work. But you've given us the choice. We get to decide if we're going to let you do it or not. Lord, please reveal in my own heart today areas where you want me to grow. Maybe don't reveal too much all at once so I'm I'm not too overwhelmed. Or maybe overwhelm me if that's what I need. Give me genuine sorrow for my sin. Lead us and guide us step by step. And may we be people of peace and joy. Peacemakers pursuing the pleasure and happiness of all. And the only way that can happen is by seeking you first. So give us joy as we seek you and follow you today. Give us sorrow for our sins, but then give us the joy of your salvation. And we thank you for your amazing word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We hope you have a happy Sabbath. And stay tuned for more information about our next outdoor service. Uh, We hope to have it very, very soon, but we need to finalize a few last things. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.